We've done, done a bark on a series that really is not a typical series of pe- preaching through a singular passage, but I thought we'd do a little bit of counseling for several weeks. And so we've been talking a variety of topics. The topic that I started on last week was family life. And I said that I wanted to do something that was uh, a little bit different than what we've done in the past, but have this family talk. And what we would do is we would focus on three basic statements that somehow in some way apply to everybody who is involved in a family. We started off last week with this basic statement, God needs to be... Excuse me, needs to be a welcomed partner in your life if you want God's blessings upon your family. And we talked about Psalm 127 and dealt at that at length. And then we started last week with this idea God has several rules for every family to follow if they want God's blessing. And those rules were simple, they were found in Genesis. And when we go back to the beginning of the home, would you join me for just a minute? Back in Genesis chapter 1. And read the beginning that God had when he established the home. We're going to jump down to about verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make an helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the earth, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And of the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. We made these observations on this text, that this text, that this principle of God setting up the home and giving the establishment of it, they weren't limited to that time alone, just for Adam and Eve. That's obvious, because he talks about leaving father and mother, and Adam and Eve didn't have a mom and dad at that time. So it was going to be for generations after that. As well, we know that it was repeated by Jesus, this same idea. Leave father and mother and cleave unto your wife and keep on becoming one flesh. We know that it was repeated in the book of Ephesians when he was writing, Paul was writing to the churches who were not Jewish, but a blend of Jews and Gentiles. So he made this observation that these family rules, the ones that are first shown in this text, they apply to all cultures, all times, all peoples, all family units. Not just of olden days, but even of these days. And so we said, okay, then what are some of those rules? What are some of those foundational principles? The first one we said was family marriage is a good thing. Because God saw that all he had created, it was good. That includes the personality differences. That includes as well the difference in roles that we're going to talk about next week. Then we made the second observation. It is for one man and one woman alone. That in the Bible, it does not, by God's design, it does not promote polygamy. It never did. It doesn't promote what we are running into more and more these days, the homosexuality, uh, homosexual marriages. And we talked about that at length. I want to jump into rule number three. Rule number three that is important for a lot of individuals here. Those seeking a good marriage spouse ought to let God be a part of the search. What do we mean by that is this. It was God who brought Eve to Adam. Maybe the rule should be, 
woman is God's gift to man. Maybe that should be one of the rules. Because he brought and gave, like a gift, Eve to Adam. And so when that happened, and we've just read how it occurred, God was obviously involved with bringing those two together. Now we jump into further time, further culture, further passages of Scripture. We know God doesn't create and keep on creating out of our rib and then making somebody special just for us. We know that that's not the case. But we do understand that God is involved in bringing people together. Let me see if we can do this without losing everything. Have we lost totally? Okay, we're good electronically. It says in scriptures that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. In other words, there's a search involved. Somebody is looking, and it's normal, and it's a natural thing to have that interest, to at a certain age say, okay, I'm interested in moving forward with another person as my partner. We also know that God said a prudent wife is from the Lord. So how does this work together? You're searching, but God is going to provide. And God's going to give direction to find the right type of person. So binding those two thoughts together, we come to the conclusion that it's okay to do the searching, but let God help in the searching, in the, in the, be an active partner in the idea of what you can look for, what you should look for, how you get together. And so with that in mind, let me give you some practical counsel of how to incorporate God into the dating practice. Parents, what you should teach your kids. Grandparents, what should you pass on to grandchildren. Those of you who are interested in finding a partner, not another one, but finding a partner. Okay, what do you do? Let me give you some practical advice based on the idea that God should be involved in your searching. Number one is you should pray. It says in First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. In James, it talks about if any man lack wisdom, let him pray. And God who gives will give liberally because he upbraids not. So you want to pray about this matter. Parents, I would encourage you to fast and pray about your child's choice. Be engaging in that prayer long before they get to that age where they're interested. Be patient. Be patient. I know you're at 16. You haven't found that person yet. There is time. There is time. Life will not pass you by. Okay, don't panic. Be patient. Allow the Lord to direct so you don't panic and all of a sudden, out of desperation, get involved in a relationship that is not good. So be patient. As well, praise. What I mean by this is, in the meantime, you get involved serving the Lord. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he says he will provide all the needs that you have. That would include a partner. If the Lord believes you need a partner, he will provide in time if you are serving him in the meantime by praying, being patient, praising, serving, getting involved. By the way, practical advice, if you want to meet a good partner, get involved in your church ministries. You'll meet some people who may be having the same interests, the same likes, and that'll be a good spot to be able to find somebody that's a potential future partner. Be pliable. What we mean by being pliable is this. Be open to counsel. Multiple times in the book of Proverbs, it talks about, especially in this area of male-female relationships, my son, listen, my son, pay attention. We get to Proverbs 31, and it's the mom giving the king, her son, advice of what type of person. 
Be pliable. Listen to the counsel of godly parents, godly grandparents. Give them credit that maybe they have learned something during their lifetime. And they may understand you a lot better than what you think they do. So be pliable. But then also be picky. If I could stress any of these, the strongest to the teens, to the young adults, please be picky. In other words, adopt God's standards of who you would want to date, who you would be even considering for a future partner down the road. God's standards are very simple, and they're very clear. If you run through the Bible, the Bible gives us some clear indication about what God would recommend, what God says that a believer's standard should be. Number one, you should be dating only saved, committed Christians. It's very clear in scriptures that he talks about that we are not to be unequally yoked with the unbelievers. What more intimate relationship can there be where you make commitment than, be, than in marriage? And he says, don't be unequally yoked with the unbeliever, or you will definitely have all kinds of issues. Then he goes on in other passages, and he makes this comment. How can two do walk together except they be in agreement? The agreement stops in, in, the, uh, in most translations, but others had advanced it enough that says, agree where we're going. Agree the path we're going to take, which is the concept in the original. And so he's talking about how are we going to get to this goal? How are we going to raise the kids? Well, if you're working with somebody who's saved and committed to the Lord, you're going to have an agreement on how to train the kids. If not, you're going to have difficulty. So the advice is be looking at somebody who's saved and committed. Also, look for somebody who believes and lives the same biblical truths that you believe, that you live that are accurate according to the scriptures. You find somebody who is doctrinally correct, doctrinally active and practical. He says in Thessalonians, withdraw yourself from every brother who walks disorderly and not after the teachings that we have given. And so Paul makes it clear, if you're going to be yoked up with somebody, be yoked up with somebody who believes the same Bible truths. Be yoked up with somebody who is obeying the epistle. He says the negative, obey, he says, if any man obey not, the, it should be man, I'm sorry. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that person, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Don't count him as enemy, but as a brother, and yet limit your contact. So you look for somebody who is doctrinally accurate, who believes the scriptures as you know they are taught. Then we add another standard that God has. Avoid those who don't respect their or your parents. This is really practical. Is you want to be able to find somebody who has a respect for the authorities in their life. If they don't have a respect for their parents, mark it down, they're probably not going to respect you. They're going to have a difficulty with how they treat you if they treat their parents in a bad way. We know that's true from scriptures. God advises this. He says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Even as we get to be older, we're still supposed to be honoring our parents. We find in scriptures where it says, listen to your father and despise not your mother when she is old. That means that when you are in those teenage years, you're still obligated to be listening to parent, to advise, to give honor unto them. You don't want to get tangled up with somebody who is dishonoring towards their parents. 
who is dishonoring towards your parents. In fact, if they are asking you to sin against your parents by lying, by deceiving, by trying to disobey, I would break off that relationship quickly. Because you're, you're headed in a direction that's going to be extremely difficult. Let's go a little bit further. Make sure they respect you and God's moral standards when it comes to physical interaction, when it comes to sex. That they respect you, that they don't pressure you, that they don't force you into a physical activity and relationship sexually that you know God forbids. What you need to do is remember it is good for a man not to be intimately touching a woman. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Now the intimacy is okay. But when you're single, it is not until you have your own wife or you have your own husband. Marriage is honorable in all things. The marriage bed is undefiled. But those who are adulterous whoremongers, those who are active in premarital or extramarital relationships, God is going to judge those individuals. We read fornication and uncleanness or covetousness. Don't let it be named amongst you. You and your dating relationship, don't even let it be talked about. Not even once, he says. We read in scriptures, this is the will of God. Even your keeping your vessel, your body, to the holiness of God, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control your own body in holiness. So we have these standards that are put out. But we want you to also know this, that that individual should display good character qualities. Character qualities that you see over time and you see in many different situations. So with that in mind, what we're talking about are what traits, we're asking, what traits should I be looking for? Does God give any specific traits that he recommends me to look for when I was looking for death? And the answer is yes. In the, now, now, some of you may say, wait a minute, Pastor Wayne, you put on here a phrase over time and in many different situations. I did that purposely. I did it purposely. What I'm talking about in trying to just advise and counsel is this thought, is that you know, we're not to be hasty and with the idea that the more time you take in the relationship, the more you'll get to know about the person. That, that really applies even right now in this day and age. Long-distance relationships are more possible than any other time. We know that the dating apps, the date, uh, those, those different you know, fields, you can be dating cross-country. There is a real benefit to some of that. The benefit is you have to learn to talk. You learn to communicate. That's a wonderful benefit. But there are some negatives to that if that's all there is. Because it is easy to be on camera one way and live life another way. It is easy for somebody who just at the moments can pretend and portray and be real spiritual, for instance, here, but walk out. And then there's no interaction. You don't see him except for here alone. And there may be a misperception about what that person really is. So in dating, I would strongly advise, take time. Don't be hasty. Don't jump from three dates into engagement and marriage. You know, all within a week after that. Get to know the person. Now, does that, does that uh, always fail? No. There are the rare occasions. But seriously, you want to get to know how the person responds to difficulties, to trials. How do they respond when finances are tight? How do they react when there's a crazy driver in the road? 
How do they respond when all of a sudden they're tired and, and they, you know, they, they have a lot of pressures? Do they lack control with their anger? Do they hit, strike out, you know, throw things? You want to know that about that person. That could have great bearing on how you are treated. You want to know if that person becomes deceitful and dishonest when all of a sudden they're under the pressure of maybe losing a job. And you want to see how they're going to react under the difficult times of life so you understand, do they have real good moral character? So you want to see them up close. You want to see them in real life. You want to take the time. You want to know them. And so when you're looking for those character traits, what do you do? What kind of character traits do you look for? The book of Proverbs is very specific. It gives us details about what type of moral traits you would look for in a woman. That is a long-term possibility. It says that you want to be careful of those who do a lot of flirting in chapter 2, verse 16. It talks about those who forget their promises to God. They're a type of gal you want to stay away from. You want to stay away from someone who dresses very suggestively and goes really heavy on the makeup. And he's very specific about this because he's talking about they are drawing attention to themselves. In fact, 1 Peter makes it very clear. Adorn yourself in a meek and quiet spirit, not all you know, the hairdo and the makeup. And he stresses that idea. Is he saying makeup is wrong? No. Is he saying dressing nice is wrong? No. But he's saying, make sure you're careful that you aren't focusing just on the looks and you avoid looking at the character, the personality, which is, in our day and age, what is the focus? It's all, it's all about the appearance. And so he says, be careful of somebody who's loud and boisterous. Be careful of the woman who complains a lot. If she's complaining a lot while you're dating, guess what? When you marry, it's not going to be the end of the complaints. I know you're wonderful, you're great, that she'll have everything she's ever wanted. Yeah, right. Okay. Be careful about or watch what kind of choices she makes. You want to be looking and saying, okay, is there a lot of argumentative you know, relationships? Is there a lot of you know, conflict between her and family, between her and her friends, between her and... You know, everybody around her is wrong, and she's mad at them all. You're not going to be the exception. You be careful about somebody who has no conviction. After they've done something wrong, do they respond in any sorrow, any repentance? That's the description of some of the gals that he's talking about. Somebody who isn't lazy. Then he says, okay, here's the type of gal you want to look for. Those were the negatives. Then the positives are those who, you know, they're disciplined, they're organized, they treat others kindly. They're one who has a good reputation. They're one for their kind speech, gracious speak. The family speaks well of her. So you have the positives. Now, guys, the scriptures get very personal and pointed about guys, what they should be like. Absolutely. The Bible says, okay, if you're looking for a guy, don't look for somebody who's lazy. Don't look for somebody who hangs around troublemakers. You know, they loved the thrill of living on the edge. On the edge. No, no. Don't look for somebody who's greedy and materialistic. Don't look for somebody who shares faults of others, who, who doesn't love enough to keep some of their friends' indiscretions or foibles or feebles or falls quiet. But they are just like broadcasting everybody else's flaws. 
Be careful of somebody who talks too much, who has an opinion on everything, who knows something about everything. Be careful of the individual who uses alcohol, who overeats. In other words, they are not the type of person that has self-control. They're given to the party type of life. One who disrespects his mother. He's very clear. If they have a disrespect for their mother, avoid that type of a guy. He talks about it as one who doesn't listen to parents' counsel. One who doesn't, doesn't show up when he says he's going to show up. The one who doesn't do what he says he's going to do. The one who doesn't follow through with the commitments that they made to friends, family, ministries, or whatnot. Be careful of that type of an individual. He says, in fact, if you want to look for the type of guy, gals, that is God-recommending, he's saying, hey, find somebody who is faithful to God with their possessions, that they give regularly. Find somebody who listens to counsel and advice. Thumbs up, God says. God says, see, find somebody who seeks to be argumentative, who seeks conflicts that are unnecessary. Find somebody who hangs around. Look at their friends they hang around. Are they good, decent people of character? Find somebody who takes correction well. In other words, they are pliable. They do listen to counsel and guidance. Find somebody who can control their temper. Find somebody who controls their speech. Find somebody who doesn't repeat the errors, the mistakes, the sins of other people, that they are discreet and caring and kind. Find somebody who doesn't have to brag about all their ability, but they are the type of person they, have, they let others comment and compliment on their abilities rather than them broadcasting it. Find the type of person who is interested in the lost, in seeing other people born again. These are all the commendations that God has given. These are the recommendations that you should adopt when you are looking for somebody, praying for somebody. Adopt these. But before I move on, let me make this other observation. Not only should you adopt these standards, those of you who are still in that single realm, you should become these recommendations. This is the way you should live. So God could recommend you without hesitation to somebody. So others could recommend you and say you are somebody that is a good catch. So there goes both ways. Now, those are for those of you who are in that realm. Now, let's talk about those of you who are in the realm of you already are in a relationship. Okay, then what? God's plan or rule number four is this. Couples are to complement each other, not compete against each other. If you jump back into the text, God made Eve for a reason. God even describes and he says when he talks about what happens at creation... The only thing that was negative, God says, it is not good that a man should be alone. In other words, Adam needed companionship. And so God's going to create Eve for companionship. That's great. That's wonderful. But he describes it a little bit further. He says he provides not only companionship, he says, but I want to do something else. I want to provide her as a helpmeet. That's mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. We already read it. Verse 18. It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet. Now, you may have different translations. You may have different ways that it's expressed. You might have the helpmeet. You might have the helper fit for him. You might have a helper corresponding to him. They all mean the same thing. The helpmeet has this kind of a concept. 
It is somebody who will assist, somebody who will help another person do better at what they're doing. The idea for him has the idea that they complete, they complement, that they are not in competition, but they are suitable to helping that person become all that God wants them to be. This is a profound thought. It's an amazing thought when we start applying it. That when you're looking for, when you're interacting with your partner, it's God's intent that you, for your spouse's sake, you help them to become the best that God intends them to be. Whatever God gifted them, you're to help them to advance that gift. You're to help them to become the best provider. You're to help your spouse become the best servant of God. You're to help them to become the best mother, the best friend, the best time, uh, best type of uh, family member. This is your duty to your spouse. And he gets very pointed about this, especially to husbands. In the New Testament, of both of the, both the couples, he specifically says, Husbands, this is your job primarily. That you are supposed to love your wives in such a way that Christ loved your wives. Which means helping them to become all that God intended. He says in this passage, love your wives as Christ also loved. Gave himself for it. That he might sanctify, cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. He goes on and presented to himself a glorious church. Jesus Christ was primarily focused on prime, the, the most greatest focus of our needs was our spiritual needs. Does he take care of our physical needs? Yes. Does he provide social needs? Yes. Does he help take care of our needs when we're needing strength and needing some assistance, getting through comfort or trials? Yes, yes, yes. But his primary goal for his bride was to help her to become spiritual. And to keep growing spiritually so she could be presented to him as a church without spot or wrinkle. Man, that is your job towards your wife. You are to be helping them to grow spiritually, first and foremost. And we think it's the woman's job to take care of the religious aspect. But according to this text... You're the one who's primarily responsible for her spiritual growth. You're the one that is supposed to answer her questions about the Bible. It says that the woman isn't supposed to be coming to the preacher or speaking in a broad sense of asking her questions, but rather she is supposed to ask her questions of Scripture at home of her husband. Do you know what that assumes? That assumes that the two of you are talking about Bible truths. It assumes that you husbands know Bible truth or you're willing to learn it. And it puts the burden on you to be the one to be her spiritual counselor. Do I have a role in helping as a helper? But I am not to be the primary spiritual counselor for the wives. That's the husband's job. And if you're not willing to take on that responsibility, you shouldn't get married. Because that's part of what you commit to God to do. Your men, it's your responsibility to see that there's a prayer life happening. In fact, God assumes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that you are, I'm going to be really blunt. He assumes that husbands and wives are having physical relations, sexual relationships regularly. That's an assumption. 
And then he's assuming in that text that the only time that you agree to break that off is when you are praying and fasting together about some need, about some, some situation. So he's assuming in that text that that is part of your relationship, not just the sex, but the praying together. And then he concludes by saying, oh, by the way, I'm warning on this. Make sure you come back together sexually so you meet each other's needs so that all of a sudden temptation doesn't get in. That's the command. Everything in this text is assumed ahead of that time. So the assumption that applies spiritually is, man, do you help your wife in her prayer life? Do you know if she prays? Do you encourage her to pray? Do you pray with her? He goes on, and we, we would go on and ask, do you encourage your spouse to study the Bible? Do you encourage them to pray, or are you a distraction from it? Are you a disturbance when that's happening? We, we go and we say, okay, let's talk about worship. Do you encourage attendance to help your wife to get under the teaching of the Word of God? Or are you one that's helping them to drift away from different Bible studies? Drift away from the Word of God. To come and say, okay, I, we, we come Sunday morning, I'm glad you're here. But can your wife live on one spiritual meal for the whole week? What are you doing to help her? How are you providing that direction, that guidance? Have you supported them? God's gifted, man. God has gifted your wives. He's gifted you too. He's gifted your wives to have some spiritual gift to help contribute to the body of Christ. Are you helping her to contribute to the body of Christ the way God has designed for her? Or do you discourage involvement? Do you complain about involvement? Do you take away her presence from the church? It's your responsibility to not force, cause her to sin. So when it comes to temper, do you help her with that or do you provoke her? When we start talking about this, do you protect your spouse from ungodly entertainment? I know that there's hardly ever ungodly entertainment in this world. But what do you do to protect your family, your wife, your spouse, your kids from the garbage that is inundating us culturally? Yeah. Remember how it used to be? You used to be able to watch the uh, what, Hallmark Channel? And it was decent. Do you remember how years ago we used to say, oh, it's from Disney, it's got to be good. Not anymore, folk. Not anymore. You've got to be discerning. Are you protecting your family from some of the amoral, immoral influences that come into the home via entertainment? Let me talk to both of you. Wives, how are you helping your husband in, in going and doing Bible studies? Do you work together to be able to share the gospel with family, friends, neighbors? Or are you the one that is stumbling the relatives? Are you the one that they look and say, a hypocrite? And you're losing your in-laws because of a lack of testimony. Are you the individual who is bearing, uh, uh, building up your spouse? Or are you given to tearing them down? Are you the individual who is helping your partner with their struggles, with their discouragement, 
with their difficulties of whatever it may be? Or do you belittle them? Do you mock them? Do you criticize them when they're struggling? Are you the individual that you pray for your partner? And I'm not talking about God change him. I'm talking about a positive prayer. Okay. Where you're saying, okay, you know, I'm helping them to get ready for when the Lord returns. Think this through. This is the young marrieds did a study on this about a year ago or so. It was a profound thought that, you, that the author of whatever material was challenging them. Do you know that one day we're going to be standing before the Lord? Yes? And we're going to have to give an account of ourselves, every one of us, whether good or bad, what things that we've done in the flesh, how we have served the Lord. You know that you're going to have to give an account. Yes? It's called the Bema Seat. If you're born again, this is going to happen. If you're not born again, you're going to stand at a different judgment seat. And that's going to determine whether you're allowed into heaven or not. And the only way you're allowed into heaven is asking Christ to be your Savior. Not church membership, not baptism, not showing up here. This church cannot save anyone. Okay? It's Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one. But that's a different judgment. I'm talking now about the judgment of Christians, those who are born again. Which means every one of us who is born again is going to stand by ourselves before the Lord and give an account. That means Deb is going to stand before the Lord. She's going to give an account for herself. I'm going to stand before the Lord. I'm going to have to give him an account myself. If I really, truly love my wife, then what do I want Jesus to say to her? Well done, the good and faithful servant. I want her to be rewarded and commended by Jesus Christ. Yes, no? Does that make sense? Anybody still with me? Then you should want the best for your spouse. You want them, even more than yourself, you want them to be commended by Jesus. You want them to be lauded, to be given a crown for such things as handling trials right. You want them to be given a, given a crown, a reward by Jesus for sharing the gospel. You want that partner to be one who is given a crown for purity. You want your partner to be given a crown for looking and living as if Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. You want them to be crowned that way. What are you doing to help your partner deserve that crown? How have you helped them to witness to others? How have you helped your spouse think, act, live as if Jesus Christ could come today? How have you helped your partner handle trials and difficulties? How have you assisted them in all these different areas? What have you done to help your partner to be commended? You're to be a helpmeet, a complementer, not a competitor. You're to be one that wants them to be able to grow, not groan, before the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you doing? What are you doing when it comes to spiritually helping and assisting your partner? What are you doing when it comes to saying, I want them 
to be one who is using their gifts. What are you doing to encourage that? Father, this is where the rubber meets the road in our lives. This is where it's very easy to brush this off on another person in this room. This is where we so quickly and so easily, all of a sudden, we, we expect others to apply this. But, oh, God, this is where we live. This is where we need to change. This is where we need to grow. So help us as individuals to do right, to act right, to be right, to live right, to work on relationships that are truly, truly commendable before Christ. Help us to be surrendered to you as we sing this morning and give God the praise and glory. I'm going to ask Pastor Art to come up and lead us in this song of prayer. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And we dedicate ourselves to living for Christ the right way.